0: Welcome to StablePod, the podcast that explores the exciting world of decentralized systems and beyond. Join us as we delve into the limitless possibilities of decentralized governance, decentralized finance, and decentralized organizations with the most creative and innovative minds in the space. We'll hear from trailblazers who are building, shaping, and maintaining the future of these decentralized systems. From DAOs to NFTs, DeFi to Web3, we cover it all on StablePod. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Stable Pod. I'm your host, Juan Escavel. I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Gustav Erentoft. How are you feeling today, Gustav?
1: Very good. Um, yeah, you know, busy weeks here in Lisbon, but uh, yeah, feeling good.
0: Today's guest is helping pioneer DeFi risk management and how to service DAOs more generally. Our guest is Matt Dobell, head of business development at Gauntlet. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Awesome. Maybe we could start things off by outlining the core of what Gauntlet is aiming to achieve. And also, I'd love to hear the story of how you joined the team and and what were your personal motivations. Uh,
2: Gauntlet's mission is to drive adoption and understanding in the financial systems of the future. Uh, That's a pretty broad statement and mission. So in terms of how we go about doing that, uh, we are essentially a quantitative-based economic research and optimization firm. Uh, started uh, around five, I think we're about to celebrate our fifth year anniversary, actually, at the end of the month. Um, and really have been you know started deep in the weeds on research ever bef- before we ever produced a product. Uh, really researching things like consensus mechanisms, liquidity scenarios, how liquidators function, what their behaviors are. Uh, and then really jumped into kind of the risk management side of things. So a lot of our founding team, a lot of the founding team members come from high frequency trading or other kind of quant trading. Uh, And therefore, we took a lot of the algorithms that we were using in those prior industries and adapted them for DeFi, uh, all with the kind of focus on making DeFi safer. Uh, And so what that looks like is essentially we've built an off-chain simulation SDK. Uh, We are ingesting protocol, ecosystem, liquidity data on and off-chain data into those models, running thousands of simulations a day and the, the outputs of which... Uh, on an ongoing basis are parameters for markets like Ave or Compound or even perpetuals like perennial, uh, parameters that find the optimal balance between risk management, so avoiding insolvencies, uh, but also capital efficiency, because we want to make sure that these parameters are set in a way that encourage growth, uh, encourage borrowing, driving revenue back to the Dow and kind of value overall. Um so we started with risk management. Uh, we've since expanded the business a little bit. So uh, last year, I think around midway last year, we announced our applied research team. Um, that team is really focused on, you know, a lot of the other economic problems or economic opportunities we see in DeFi that are uh, maybe less on the risk management side. And so that team spends a lot of time thinking about things like fee optimization, incentive optimization, uh, a little bit of mechanism design. Uh, and then the third area of our business is Era. Um, Era is a protocol that got incubated. Uh, we are now a service provider to Era. Era is a separate company with its own foundation. Um, but essentially, ERA is autonomous, non-custodial treasury management for DAOs. Uh, and so the common theme among all of these is we're trying to make DeFi better, trying to make DeFi uh, more efficient and, and ultimately safer to help help kind of holistically grow the the industry.
0: Yeah. And can, and can you speak a little bit to you joining the team? I know you've been there now, I think, two years. Correct me if I'm wrong. So you've been around for quite a bit. Um, yeah, why don't you speak a little bit to your, your time, you know, when you first joined and how you've kind of seen things evolve over time?
2: Um, I got started in crypto back in 2016, just, you know, kind of as a hobbyist, as a lot of people did, just saw something new and, and wanted to mess around with it a little bit. Uh, at the time, I was working in fintech and, you know, at the time I was like, this is cool, but, you know, maybe a little bit kind of like a casino. I'm not quite seeing the applicable use cases just yet. Uh, so I, you know, I faded it a little bit and I, I held on, I still hold some of those tokens from, from way back then, which is, is kind of embarrassing because they're not worth anything now, but, uh, over time, kept an eye on the industry, kept an eye on things and, you know, 2020, uh, I think reignited a lot of people's interest and also got a lot of new people interested as well. And so, you know, for me, it was really compound compounds, white paper, reading through that and really having that white bulb moment of, okay, I, I now see where these things start to connect. I now see some applicable use cases. So I started using compound. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if anybody remembers the earlier days of Compound, there were, you know, it was quite the, a, a generous incentive distribution. Um, they were bootstrapping a market. They were trying to grow it. They were kind of one of the, one of the first ones to really do this. Uh, and so, you know, as a market participant, I was earning incentives. Uh, and then one day I noticed there was a proposal that was cutting the incentive spend by you know, some percentage. Uh, and if I remember right, uh, as I read through that proposal, either Gauntlet had put up the proposal or Gauntlet was mentioned in the proposal from doing some analysis. Uh, So me as a user sitting here like, oh, this is cutting my incentive spend. Who is this company? Uh, So I went and looked up Gauntlet, uh, and I was just frankly blown away by what they were doing. Uh, It really looked like reading through some of the research, uh, they were getting super in-depth on a lot of these mechanisms that I hadn't seen anybody else get this in-depth on, uh, really doing a lot of the hard math uh, behind these things uh, and coming up with with logical and kind of reasonable solutions to uh, different situations and problems that DAOs may be facing. Uh, And so while, you know, on a personal side, it didn't benefit me to cut that, you know, on on the logical or pragmatic side, I was like, this makes a whole lot of sense. And so that really got Gauntlet on my radar. Fast forward, maybe about a a year later or so, uh, I was at Square at the time, uh, you know, enjoyed working at Square, great company. uh, But I was ready to make a move full time into crypto. I mean, it's one of those things where once you decide you want to do it, it's like all all you can think about. Uh, And so I remember Gauntlet again, reached out. I had a, a bunch of really good conversations with the team, I was just blown away at the, the caliber of people, um, but also like equally as egoist as well. Um, so that really, really struck me because I've been in companies with really smart people, but then like egos can be really high as well. Uh, but everybody at Gauntlet was super humble about the, what they were doing, really like shared and bought into the mission. Uh, and so after a bunch of conversations, I was basically begging them to let me join the company. And so I, I was very fortunate and, and happy that they did. And, uh, you know, at the time, Gauntlet was pretty small. Uh, We were, I think, 23, 24 employees. We're up to around 60-ish today. Uh, And so in terms of seeing how things have changed over time, I mean, there's externally and internally. So, you know, internally, I've just seen us really beef up a lot of our our data science, and engineering resources, really has allowed us to productize a lot of what we do, streamline a lot. Uh, And then externally, I mean, we've seen the market change so much. I mean, back when I joined Gauntlet, uh, there were a lot of companies I won't go into names that were still operating that are no longer operating today. And I think we we know some of the big ones that have occurred in the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, I really think that shifted the landscape and how people think about things like risk management, how people things think about things like counterparty risk. Uh, I think it's added a level of scrutiny to the market that I, I actually think is welcome and, and needed. I think people should be you know inspecting what they expect, so to speak. Um, we're here to help them inspect those. We're here to line expectations up with us as users. We want, we want safety, and, and so we want to provide that to, to everybody else as well. And so Gauntlet's mission really really resonated with me. Um, and if you look kind of in, in my past career, the, you know, FinTech, when I was joining different companies, it was all about democratizing access to certain levels of people who may not have, like, traditional levels of access, maybe to banking, maybe to uh, certain types of lending, maybe to, like, consumer protection. Uh, and so this felt like a nice next step in that direction.
0: You perhaps you kind of touched on this already, but but what do you contribute? Gauntlet's continued success. Uh, so they've been a, a, around for quite a while, um, and you've seen you know new new products launch. Like you just mentioned, you're productizing a lot of these these different verticals. Um, what do you what would you pinpoint as like the one thing? Or maybe it's just like this ability to remain nimble in this fast moving environment uh, that has allowed Gauntlet to be a pretty clear you know leader in the space, at least as it. As it concerns, uh, you know, risk management and, and DAO service providers.
2: Yeah, I think there's a bunch of things that contribute to that. But if I were to boil it down and, and try to simplify it, I would say intense passion and intellectual curiosity. Uh, a lot of the things that we now do for DAOs uh, came from research that we did initially. And so, you know, we kind of have this constant feedback loop where we see interesting innovations in the market or kind of like new things popping up. Uh, We go conduct research on those things. We understand kind of like how broad this might be. We understand different implications. And at the same time, we understand, you know, where they could be vulnerable to things like market risk or economic risk. Uh, And then we want to address those. And so, you know, that's a constant thing that we're doing. That's a feedback loop that goes right into our models, right into like everything we're building internally. uh, And we love doing it. That's the thing is like the. If you go through a bear market. It can, you, I'm sure we saw a lot of people leave the industry in the bear market. A lot of people were disillusioned. A lot of people were, uh, you know, maybe not so happy uh, as they were when things were kind of up only. Um, that wasn't the case for us. The, the case for us was, you know, these are different liquidity environments. Volatility is very real right now. We need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to protect the DAOs that we serve. Uh, and also look for new kind of innovative ways to continue doing this for, for other verticals, for ecosystems, uh, different market participants, for new entrants. Uh, and so for us, it's really just an intense passion to uh, to help this industry grow. Um, dating back to, you know, Tarun starting to research the space, I think in like 2011. Um, so we've really had people in and around the space for for quite some time. And you know a lot of people, every, sorry, everybody at Gauntlet has really kind of bought into to what we're doing here. Um, so that means kind of regardless of what's going on in the market, we're all kind of together. And, you know, it, internal collaboration uh, is something that we we value really highly. Uh, you know, there's not you know one voice in a room. We want to hear from everybody. Everybody has a good perspective, and I think that you know having an open culture internally as well has has allowed us to thrive.
1: Yeah, um, I think I think that's really good, and I, th- I think you know this is something which I think ties at least like the the very strong teams together is kind of like this like shared vision on on the mission. Um, so you know, I, I used to do BD, um, so I'm just quite curious. You know, like you you sit as you know head head of partnerships, right, at, at Gauntlet. Um, Most of your partners and and clients are are DAOs. Uh, How how is it working in this uh, role where, you know, your uh, other side of the table is not, you know, convincing the executive of a company, but, uh, you know, convincing a community? Maybe you can talk a little bit to this.
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, this was the biggest change for me coming from kind of traditional Web2 or fintech uh, to DeFi, DAOs and crypto, which is, Traditionally speaking, uh, you know, when I was at Square, we were selling kind of like enterprise suites of services and same similar and other type of roles. You're typically dealing with one or two decision makers. Those one or two decision makers are typically highly qualified to make a decision on like purchasing your product or using your service or not. Um, Really reduces a lot of friction. Uh, When somebody decides to make a purchase, they make a purchase. Somebody decides not to, they decide not to. In the case of DAOs, it changes quite a bit, right? You have uh, a lot of token holders. You have a lot of different voices, a lot of different uh, levels of experience with evaluating certain types of proposals. Uh, And so, you know, it's it's quite different in that regard. And I think it it can sometimes create more friction than than maybe is needed. can sometimes, uh, you know, you're you're kind of hearing from people who, uh, you know, may not even hold a token in some cases in some of these forums. But... Uh overall, I think, you know, I, I do like some of the transparency. I like that we can be out in the open. I think for us, again, going back to our mission of adoption, understanding uh, we like being able to educate in public. Uh, you know, I think for what we do is a little bit complex. And so being able to help educate those around us who are you know wondering why we're putting up a proposal in their forum uh, brings brings me to like a rising tide lifts all boats type of scenario. Uh, so I would say quite different, but I think each of them has their, their pros and cons.
0: As one of the oldest and leading, uh, dial service providers, ha- have you, have you guys felt this, you know, this need to, to lead by example? Uh, cause there's definitely a lot more eyes on you. Um, does that influence your approach at all? And, some of the, these dials that you're participating in? I don't think we necessarily
2: have a targeted thought to lead by example. I think we organically end up leading by example. Uh, I think given that we've been in the space for a long time, I think given our, our experience and different DAOs and verticals and different kind of aspects of DeFi, we are often the ones internally being proactive and saying, hey, this is something we should be doing, even if nobody else is doing it. Um, even if it means, you know, we're the nail that sticks out that gets hammered. Uh, you know, for us, it's not about kind of like the publicity or not. It's you know, if we see a need or if we see an opportunity to make things better or safer or more efficient, uh, oftentimes we are going to move in that direction and see if we can do that uh and i think that often means going back to you know kind of the organic nature of it is leading by example because what we've seen is when we identify an opportunity and we start going after it and we you know are are productizing it or working on it we do see others start to join in as well uh i think that's one kind of validates you know somewhat of a product market fit which is uh not the worst thing in the world uh but also we're paving the way for others and you know even if that means competition for instance like I don't necessarily see that as, as such a bad thing. I think, uh, you know, if, if competitors are even following us down some of these paths, that means we must be on to something. Uh, and if the outputs of some of these result in more efficient, safer systems, uh, that's that's a lot of the validation that we need.
1: Well, yeah. So. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, now, now you talked a little bit also about like, you know, like, uh, you know, how you guys are, are interacting with, with DAOs right now? I think you know, like right now we we have kind of like seen most of the major protocols, DeFi protocols, uh, having quite a similar governance structure, right? Um, where you know there's kind of like you come up with like a budget proposal, define like the scope, and it basically just goes through kind of like first like a, a greenlighting vote, and then you know the on-chain vote afterwards. <clears throat> Is there some things in this process that you like personally has like identified that you could see be like improving or changing or how do you think that like, because I think, you know, we can all agree that, you know, service providers are needed for DAOs, right? They are simply, you know, incapable of doing a lot of these things in-house. Um, so, like, how how do you think that like the governance process potentially could be changed to allow for better collaboration uh, with service providers and also between service providers? Now, you know, <clears throat> you call it competitors, and you know, we sit in a similar situation, right? Where you know we kind of like all need each other because if there's only one of us, then it also defies the purpose of decentralization a bit.
2: Yeah, I think uh, with regard to governance, first, there's two aspects of it, or I kind of break it down in two ways. I mean, there's one which is what you're referring to, which is kind of onboarding service providers. And I think the second piece is how service providers interact with governance from there kind of onwards. Uh, And so from the first piece, like onboarding service providers, I think people have taken a bunch of different approaches. I think generally speaking, we're seeing uh, a lot of what I saw in kind of traditional Web 2 in a certain sense, which is like, let's throw out an RFP. Let's see what we get back and let's make a decision. Um, I think for, for those that have, uh, I think it's a good, good fit for some, maybe not a good fit for others. I think it just depends on the DAO makeup, the kind of stage of the DAO and the protocol and and really what their needs are. And if they kind of know and identify what their needs are very specifically. Um, the second part of that is, you know, let's say you are a service provider that does get onboarded to a DAO, um, governance can be difficult in some cases. So like in the case of Gauntlet, like if we're pushing parameter changes to a protocol, you know, we might see something where we want to execute a quicker change and, you know, maybe there's a, a time lock or maybe there's an execution period. And I think there's a lot of different uh, DAOs that have this within their governance. Um, for us, in some cases, that's OK. Like, you know, it, it, it just depends on the situation. There are others where we'd like to make quicker changes, uh, obviously. And, and a, a good example of that might be so we recently onboarded a Perennial, which uh, is perpetuals platform on Arbitrum. Uh, Instead of kind of going through governance for every change we want to make, given that, you know, perpetuals move pretty quickly, uh, what we're actually doing is, you know, we have an address that's whitelisted to make parameter changes within certain bounds. Um, You know, those can be kind of vetoed or slashed, et cetera. uh, But in general, just allows us to let our models do a lot of what we designed them to do, which is automatically identify when parameter updates need to be made and then directly make those parameter updates ourselves. And so I think in some cases, that's a good fit for certain types of protocols. For others, it may not be. And so I think, you know, as we continue to progress, as more service providers get involved, as DAOs continue to evolve, I think we'll see some improvements in, in governance mechanisms. And maybe that means breaking them down and making them a little bit more modular to account for different types of service providers and, and what they may or may not need to do in order to drive the value they intend to, to the DAO.
0: I, I want to touch on this a little bit uh, further on, but but Matt, I'm curious, how does Gauntlet decide which uh, protocols and ecosystems to, to contribute to? Um, we noted that, you know, it takes... The DAO maturing to a certain point to even begin to you know identify these areas of, of of you know where we can contribute to. This is something that you know us as a team uh, at Stable Lab we also also consider in terms of when we want to, when do we think it's appropriate, when is the right stage to contribute. Sometimes it's before things have been you know defined. Sometimes it's good to get in there before uh, get in there early, and sometimes it's better to kind of wait for certain things to progress until we start to see the right signals that now is the right time to jump in. Does Gauntlet have a framework or, or how, does, how does the team think about you know, deciding when to contribute to, uh, to an ecosystem? Yeah, so really looking at kind
2: of the size and stage and, and what they're doing. And so in the case of let's, let's think about verticals, for instance, and you know, perpetuals by TVL have become pretty large. Um, they're pretty prevalent, a few ecosystems. And so as we think about where we want to expand our modeling, where we think they're, you know, from a product perspective, where there's product market fit, where there's potential repeatability, we're really looking at the markets that have gained traction and look, and that have staying power. I think the same can be said for ecosystems as well. Uh, And so we evaluate verticals on a case by case basis, the same with ecosystems. And then similarly with protocols, any protocol that we end up working with, uh, before we decide to work with them, we undergo a diligence process internally. Um, we're looking at their code. We're looking at their white papers. We're really making sure that we one understand the mechanisms for modeling purposes, but two that we think that these are kind of resilient at scale and like really are doing what they're designed to do. Um, we have turned people down in the past uh, when we kind of look into this and see it's not the case, uh, and so really it's like you know kind of a matrix or combination of a lot of those things. I think you know to to your point and, and stable. Uh, I've, I've really appreciated you guys getting involved earlier on when maybe there are DAOs that don't know how to think about frameworks or how to think about like standing up governance. I think your guys experience doing this across uh, a bunch of pretty large protocols and doing it well. Uh, has contributed to the growth, like meaningful growth to a lot of these DAOs uh, via governance. And I, I think there's a bunch of good live examples to that now. Uh,
0: yeah. So I want to I dive in a little bit more into uh, some of these contributions, because I think there's some notable things that Gauntlet are doing at, at some of these protocols. Um, why don't we start off with Compound? You mentioned uh, IRA, I believe it's pronounced, the the treasury management platform that you have stewarded. Um, why don't you give you know a breakdown of what it is? Uh, you kind of already did in the intro, but maybe like what are you actually trying to achieve uh, within the Compound community? with with era
2: yeah so yeah as i said era is uh, non-custodial autonomous treasury management for daos uh we had been incubating era for a couple of years at this point and really just like taking time to make sure that it was was ready for for prime time so to speak uh and really that came from just a lot of the work that we were doing with daos on the the risk side we just see a few key challenges for daos things like on-chain coordination misaligned incentives kind of lack of clear goals from the dao in general um, so really to kind of break it down in a few ways and, and like starting with on-chain coordination uh, operating within a DAO is is challenging. There's a lot of stakeholders um, getting alignment on a treasury strategy and like overall DAO growth and goals can be really hard. Um, we've seen a lot of DAOs kind of go back and forth of this over the past couple of years and oftentimes results in no decision and no, nothing kind of like changes from there. And that's you know, obviously not the goal of those, those conversations. Uh, I think the second part is kind of misaligned incentives in some cases. Uh, and that goes back to different community members having different goals, kind of like the way votes can be skewed one way or the other. Uh, and so, you know, general, like, you know, from top to bottom, not not necessarily super aligned. Um, and, you know, of course, like DAOs' goals, like if they're ill defined, uh, treasury management decisions and discussions only kind of cascade these problems. And so, you know, those are kind of a lot of the things that, that led us to wanting to build era kind of along with this, like trilemma essentially of like, you know a treasury management solution that's non-custodial that's fully transparent uh, and that is autonomous uh, and we've seen you know we haven't seen anything like that fully on chain just yet or we hadn't uh, at the time of starting to build era uh, and so really happy to kind of be able to bring that to market in terms of the compound uh, proposal so we proposed a pilot to the compound DAO to take five hundred thousand dollars worth of v2 reserves notably uh zero x and bat Um, and put those into an era vault uh, utilizing a passive rebalancing strategy uh, on ETH volatility targeting Um, we chose those reserves um kind of looking at v2 usage and looking at kind of the v2 risk Uh, and then the other thing that era really does is uh you know being that everything is on chain there's no sense of like a a true TWAP in a sense because we are actually executing these these swaps through dexes and so the first thing we do with them is we're taking these lower liquidity assets and we're swapping out of them into USDC and RAP State ETH. Uh, being that they're lower liquidity, you can't just do this all in like one chunk. And so, you know, one of the things that ERA is designed to do is to automatically sell out of these assets uh, when liquidity conditions allow to maintain price fidelity. And so we're not doing anything at above like 0.5% slippage. Uh, you know, we're capping kind of trade amounts on, on or swap amounts on uh, at certain amounts. Uh, and so, you know, it may take us a little bit longer in some cases to swap out of assets, but we're retaining as much value in those as possible. As those swap out, they are going into that passive rebalancing strategy, which is a, a nice passive uh, way for the compound down or earn yield on otherwise uh, idle assets. Um, so we're really excited about that. We also work with Moonwell and, and Threshold and, and talking to some others there and, and really looking to onboard some dows and pilots probably this and next quarter uh, as we continue to build out and expand the capabilities of AERA. Uh, whereas, like, you know, the compounds utilizing an ETH volatility targeting strategy, uh, we have other DAOs that want to do things like grow protocol owned liquidity, manage runway and expenses. Uh, you know, maybe there's other types of ways that, that they feel they could grow their treasury. And so we're there to provide kind of like a risk adjusted way to do it. Um, all while the DAO or, you know, whoever owns a treasury uh, has complete control of their funds, can withdraw them at any time. Uh, and also kind of interesting within an era vault, before we ever have anybody deposit into an era vault, Uh, We basically define a a certain set of actions that, you know, the guardian who's kind of responsible for managing the strategy can take. Um, So maybe there's only a certain certain tokens that uh, can be swapped into a vault or swapped out of a vault. Uh, Maybe there's only certain protocols that are kind of whitelisted for the funds to go to. So really trying to really kind of add that additional peace of mind uh, for these DAOs, as they consider different types of treasury management.
0: Yeah, can can you clarify what kind of um, uh, management or what kind of uh, control the DAO actually has? Is it is it kind of up to them to just dis- to uh, create that mechanism, or or how do they actually how are they able to influence the direction or change if needed uh, within these? Yep. Any DAO that wants to onboard
2: to Era, first we want to understand like what their objective function is. You know, why are they thinking about treasury management? Is it runway? Is it uh, just generating passive yield? Is it something else? Uh, we'll design the strategy uh, by which to achieve that. Present that to them. If uh, the DAO is aligned, you know, we build that into an Era Vault, and it's built in a way that it runs autonomously once the funds are deposited. Uh, so, in terms of kind of control of funds, uh, the DAO can, you know, again, pull funds whenever they want. They can add more funds if they want. Uh, Era nor Gauntlet nor anybody else uh, is able to pull those funds out of those out of that vault or do anything that's
0: kind of outside the predefined strategies that were agreed on with the DAO. Gotcha. So, you, so all you're doing is providing the the, the rails to to do so um, to 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 uh, deploy these types of uh, treasury management strategies for the DAOs. Um, I know this is something that a lot of other you know treasury management platforms maybe struggle with uh, in terms of. Getting buy-in, uh, getting getting tr- get having the trust from the community to 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 deploy that type of capital. Uh, do you do you have any 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 takes or any um, have you seen any any of that type of behavior uh, within these DAOs? Yeah, I think
2: we've gotten a really nice response to Era because of the non-custodial nature of it. I think you know a lot of the the back and forth you see on DAO governance forums when treasury managers are looking to. Uh, be engaged is like you have to kind of take a leap of faith and say we're going to transfer this to somebody else and that person's going to have control of our funds for some predetermined amount of time and we may not even know what they're doing with the funds necessarily because it may not be all on chain um so with era you know what we've gotten a lot of really nice feedback on is is one that aspect of you're not giving your funds to anybody else they're still yours and two that everything in aero vault does is on chain you can see the swaps you can see the rebalancing you can see kind of the volatility targeting strategies take place um, so you always know where your funds are and what what your funds are doing at, at any given time, um, and that's not to say that I think other treasury management solutions uh, are bad. I think there is no one right fit for anybody. Um, I think it's you know pretty smart. Like if you're a portfolio manager or a fund manager, you know, maybe you have a more aggressive treasury strategy. Maybe you know within that there's like a, an allocation to a less uh, less aggressive strategy. You know, I think where we come into play is you know we just want to make sure that. We are building something that, that we feel is like very closely tied to the DeFi ethos of, of being on-chain transparent and transparent and, you know, giving DAOs control of their money.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, I also want to touch on Arbitrum. Uh, so there's a recent proposal called the Arbitrum Coalition. Uh, perhaps that for those listeners who may not be as familiar with the proposal, you know, could you break down what's in the proposal and what's it aiming to achieve?
2: Sure. So the Arbitrum Coalition proposal is a joint proposal between Gauntlet, Trail of Bits, and BlockWorks Research. Uh, essentially, you know, the impetus from this came from you know if, if anybody's been following the Arbitrum DAO, there is a lot of activity um, and there's a lot of really encouraging activity. I think the DAO discussions have been high quality. I think DAO participants are super high quality as well. Um, there are a lot of proposals coming through too, and we got a lot of feedback, and we still see a lot of feedback that you know there are some proposals that delegates aren't quite sure how to evaluate. Or there you know, are a plethora of proposals that maybe they don't have time to evaluate. I think the recent STIP program is, is an example of that, where you, know, you have 50 applications. Each of them takes at least an hour to do kind of a good job analyzing. And I know a lot of delegates just don't have that much time. Um, the coalition aims to simplify the process for delegates to evaluate governance proposals, uh, as well as conduct other types of, of research and analysis. The DAO feels would benefit the Arbitrum community and, and DAO overall. Um, you know, taking expertise from kind of each of these, these members. So, you, know, you have Trail of Bits, who has a, a, a very nice, like, audit track record. I think everybody kind of knows who they are and holds them in high regard. You have BlockWorks Research, who has been a fantastic delegate in the Arbitrum DAO and elsewhere, um, has produced a lot of great research as well. And then you have us uh, on kind of the economic and market risk side. So taking all these different angles, taking experience from, from all these different uh, companies, it you know, really allows uh, the coalition to provide multiple different viewpoints uh and really simplify a lot of the analysis and ingestion for delegates when they are reading through these helping kind of translate what this means in terms of like contextual terms or if this passes here's kind of what this looks like um here are the considerations you should think about as you vote for this we're going to take a, a totally kind of neutral stance we're not we're not playing favorites we're not picking anything um we are avoiding kind of conflict of interest on anything that we're doing with our own delegation uh, really, it's just to benefit kind of the the DAO and the community overall, and allow governance to to keep moving at the pace it's moving, but do so in a very efficient manner.
0: Yeah, so some of the pushback I've seen for this proposal is this, um, and this is something that that's happened across other DAOs as well, and something we're going to continue to see is when a service provider also has delegation, right? Like there has to be you know clear communication from the from the stakeholder or like you know. A, an approach that is that is communicated in terms of like how are you going to handle servicing the DAO, but at the same time having you know the ability to sway or 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 uh, you know um, vote on your own proposal and and how do you handle that? And so so there's that there's that that issue there that we're going to start to see as maybe more and more um, you know companies or, or firms start to want to also go down the service provider route. Um, Do you have, do you have any takes there or, 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 or how do you, how does, you know, Gauntlet plan to approach that distinguishing that, that conflict that, that may some people may, you know, see there.
2: Yeah, no, I I think it's a good question. I think it's something we're going to see a lot of discussion on to your point, uh, even more so in the future as more service providers come on board and as Dallas expand. Um, I think one thing that's helpful is, you know, voting records are all on chain and they're all transparent. You can see how people vote. You can see how people communicate their votes. Um, one thing we've been very explicit on with this coalition proposal, uh, is avoiding conflict of interest situations. Um, you can look at the live snapshot right now. You can see that Trail of Bits, nor BlockWorks Research nor Gauntlet have voted on it. We will not vote on it. We will not vote on it if it goes to an on-chain vote. Uh, we believe in, in maintaining that, that that kind of distance between uh, us as a delegate and us as a service provider. And I think other other examples of that are, you know, we're you know we a service provider to Ave. Uh, we try not to kind of like use the, the Ave that we have to vote, uh, within the DAO as if we were kind of like a, uh, a DAO participant, we are a service provider. And so we're typically only going to kind of vote on risk related topics, um, or kind of use our delegation to put up proposals that are related to risk. Um, we've, we've outlined a lot of this in like terms of service and other things, but you know, I do think that we can continue to be more vocal about this. Cause I do think if, you know, this is a good example of what you were saying by like, leading by example. I think this is a very good good way for us to lead by example. Continue to be vocal about this. Continue to kind of like structure maybe like a universal framework for all service providers around conflict of interest where they may also be delegates. Um, you know, other than that, I think uh, the other things we can do are just to you know, hold each other accountable. Um, I think you know Aave is a good example of that. Arbitrum is a good example of that. There are a lot of really good examples of high-quality DAO members who when they see things, they say things. And, and I, I encourage that and I hope that people continue to do that um i do that too as a delegate in some places. uh and so i think you know in a world where we're decentralized and we're transparent uh we should be holding each other accountable like that in public too.
1: yeah i i really agree and <clears throat> we have also structured ourselves internally in in a similar way in regards to you know things such as uh conflict of interest uh, you know we have our public kind of like policies and you know it reminds us a bit of like a political program because i think you know we we are a little bit more on the delegate side uh, than than you guys are right um but uh, I, I wanted to kind of like talk about the topic as well, right? Because um, Matt, like, you know, we see you guys, but also other service providers who, uh, you know, started as service providers first and then became delegates, right? We've also seen, you know, delegates such as ourselves or you know other delegates as well who started as delegates and then became service providers. Uh, like, why do you think that this like intersection is so intertwined, and why was it important for someone like Gauntlet? To become a delegate uh, in the protocols where you guys uh, offer your services.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think in the case of you know, I'll break it down in a couple of different ways. I think in the case of going from delegate to service provider, and like why that may happen, or like why you see that occur, is because as a delegate, you get very intimately familiar with the DAO and the protocol that you're serving. Um, so for you guys, or for other delegates, you know, as you're voting on things, as you're reading governance forms, as you're as you're kind of conversing with members of the DAO. You're probably identifying areas of opportunity that can make the DAO better and more efficient. Um, and being that you're as close to it as you are, you probably have very good ideas on how to do that. And so I think that in some cases can be a natural progression. There are some delegates who maybe don't want to get as involved and that's totally okay as well. So I think there's different levels of uh, comfort there.
1: Um, I forgot the first part of your question. Why it's important for Gauntlet uh, to, to be a delegate. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, so I'm I guess... On the other side of the coin, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I guess to, to take a step back and like zoom out a little bit and kind of look at the history of Gauntlet. Um, so Gauntlet, you know, received a grant from Compound for Work uh, back in 2020. This was before Compound became a DAO. And I think at the time, you know, everybody was still pretty down on DAOs after the DAO. Uh, people are like, oh, DAOs don't work, DA, you know, we're done with these things. Uh, at some point, Compound came to and said, hey, we're, we're, we're transforming into a DAO, we, you know, we still value your work and want to work with you, but we need to figure out how, how this goes. Uh, and so we actually kind of became like one of the first you know, quote unquote B2DAO companies that way by working with Compound and helping them transition to a DAO and understanding where we fit into that framework and how we can participate as a service provider within that DAO. And so you know things like the these proposals things like structuring how it works on like the payload side of onboarding a service provider uh you know we were kind of i i think one of the first ones if not the first one to to really dive in and do this i think that experience and then our general experience kind of working around other protocols at the time um like uniswap we you know had done some work with with maker uh and and others gave people confidence that you know we have a unique vantage point that not many have which is deeply quantitative uh, deeply experienced and has done a lot of background research that you know maybe others haven't quite done yet, and so that allows us to bring a perspective that you know maybe others don't have, and and one that could be valuable for the DAO to hear, and one that could be a valuable voice when it comes to voting. Uh, a lot of what we we try to do, especially for quantitative-based proposals, is you know we run internal analyses on these things, and we let the numbers tell us how to vote. Uh, you know we try to vote very non-emotionally. Um, we have put up a voting philosophy everywhere we're a delegate. We want people to know how we vote and why we vote the way that we do. Uh, and the more we continue to service DAOs, the more we understand on like, kind of what it means also to be a delegate and how to kind of make DAOs uh I don't want to say make DAOs better because I think DAOs are great, but I think continue to to grow and improve DAOs in the operational aspects of it uh, and the delegation and voting aspects of it too.
0: Matt, I know you know perhaps related to what you just said. I know Gauntlet has a couple of proposals live right now. So the coalition, and then there's also the renewal at Ave, um, and, and in that renewal, you're basically you know requesting the community to approve you know for you to continue servicing uh, the DAO. Uh, so so my question to you is, you know, wh- what would you improve about this process and and you know the process is kind of, for in certain communities, it's a little bit trickier. There's a little bit more back and forth, you know, a little bit more pushback. Um, do you think this is a net positive? Do you think this is just the way it's going to continue to be? And maybe even, you know, it gets even crazier once we have more people join the space. Uh, in terms of like getting people to to buy in, people, you know, there, there's always going to be pushback, criticism, feedback, uh, etc. Do, you know, do you have a take here?
2: I think it depends on the DAO. And it depends on the maturity of that DAO. In the case of Abe... There are a lot of very high quality DAO participants, a lot of high quality discussion. And Ave as a DAO has been around, you know, is in a more mature stage than a lot of others. They know what they want. They know what's going to help them grow. Uh, they also know what they don't want, and they also know what's not going to help them grow. In the case of Ave, I think, you know, we're, we're comfortable letting the DAO kind of decide that process. It's up for them to decide. And they've, they've clearly done a good job of kind of growing the, the protocol in the community. In terms of how I think about this long term, or at scale, or you know, if we have a ton of more service providers come in and a ton more protocols, I think we'll organically start to see ways to make it more efficient across the board. Uh, you know, maybe uh, you know, you see some DAOs like committees that make these decisions. Uh, makes it a little bit more efficient. Maybe draws it back a little bit closer to that Web two fintech experience I was talking about. Um, we'll see how that goes. There are some doing that now. Uh, we'll see how that performs uh, against kind of seeing how traditional like the DAO processes perform. Um, One thing I really love about this space is everybody's always willing to push the boundaries and try new things. So I wouldn't be surprised if in a month from now, we see a new way of deciding uh, how to onboard service providers. And so, you know, I don't think this is the end state. I think there's probably a lot of room to to grow and make things uh, better for both DAOs and service providers. Uh, What those are, I think, remains to be seen. But I think, you know, as long as DAO members remain engaged, as long as service providers remain engaged and everybody's collaborating, you know, we'll find those things together.
0: I want to read a tweet uh, to you and, and get your take and and, and hear your, your response to this. Uh, this is from Monet Supply. This is, I believe, in in relation to the, the Arbitrum Coalition uh, proposal. Uh, he tweeted, quote, Have we considered the possibility that DAO service contracts can be priced high because DAOs are uniquely mercurial and unreliable counterparties? And he continues, If you want better pricing for your DAO, build good relationships with service providers, have a track record of honoring agreements, Minimize governance whiplash as much as possible. Do you, have, do you have a take or a response to that to that uh, tweet? I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, I mean, Monet
2: is somebody who's been around DAOs for a while and really understands uh, how a lot of them operate, and so you know, I think he's he probably speaking from experience there. Um, I have seen, uh, you know, I can't necessarily say I've experienced it, but I have seen some DAOs not kind of honor contract with service providers and other kind of like ecosystems and areas. And, you know, it's not you know, never worth it to go into names or anything. Um, but I kind of see what he's saying is like, you know, service providers who take a little bit of a risk, given that there's not a whole lot of like downside protection. If a DAO just says one day, we're not going to pay you or we're going to like cut off your contract. And so you know, there are things like duration risk, there's FX risk and there's other things that service providers have to account for. Uh, And so, you know, if you maybe that 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 gets baked into pricing, maybe they get baked into terms. Uh, You know, I think as much as service providers are here to protect and grow DAOs, um, I think that can also come back the other way. I think DAOs should also think about how they can protect and grow service providers. Because, you know, it's really going to take kind of both of these areas growing to continue to get DeFi and crypto as big as we all think it can be over time.
1: Yeah, I think I think like this is also like a good point, right? Because I think that, you know, at least like, you know, from my experience also with with uh, being present in these DAOs, that there's kind of like this like um, idea that like, you know, service providers are like coming and like looting the treasury. Right. And like they're all like coming and, and kind of like trying to achieve like as much as possible financially from 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 these DAOs. And. I think like this also just comes from the fact that we have seen cases like this in the past. Um, you know, there is definitely uh, some proposals, you know, where when, when you like review it afterwards, you're like, they paid this much for that, you know, um, but um, uh, again, not naming any names. Um, so this is definitely something kind of like this, this tension, you can almost say, right, uh, is something that definitely can be like holding, holding, you know, service providers back in general. Um, what do you see as kind of like the main obstacles or like the main projections for a company like Gauntlet to really grow into its biggest potential and and become, you know, kind of like... Uh, or like enable itself to to service all of these DAOs, which would then you know hopefully create like better risk management for for DeFi as an entire entity, right?
2: I think there are a few ways to to approach that. I mean, I think one it's you know just as much on service providers to work with DAOs to understand their needs and proposals should reflect that. I'm sure you guys have, and I've seen plenty of proposals. Whereas you're kind of saying, Gustav, you read them and you're just like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, so we always try to map back anything we do to the needs of the DAO and like how we can better service the DAO. We you know, try to provide very clear kind of milestones or KPIs uh, or ways to measure you know how successful we are. Uh, in some cases, we even put skin in the game. Uh, you know, we have an Aave uh, renewal uh, post up right now. Um, we're continuing to offer uh, what we call an insolvency refund, which basically takes a portion of our contract and puts it into a vault and says, you know, if we cause any meaningful insolvencies from our parameter changes, you know, there's some other terms in there that you should read through, uh, you know, we will kind of pay out from our own payment to to cover those. Um, I would love to see other people do that as well. I think that would get Dallas comfortable with onboarding more service providers, even if it's a little bit vaguer in terms of scope, just knowing that there is a lot of significant skin in the game there. In terms of how, how we expand this to more protocols, how we kind of holistically raise, uh, you know, market or economic risk management. You know, I think I've seen, you know, a, a shift from kind of like, uh you know individual kind of protocol or protocol basis to now like we see a lot of ecosystems thinking about risk management more holistically and so i think there's something to be said for looking at like you know different l1s different l2 side chains and, like how can you create a, a holistic risk management product that you know, not only benefits like a certain like certain protocols but also the uh the community or, or kind of like the the, the network at large um, So so we spend a lot of time thinking about that and you know thinking of ways we can we can better do that and expand because um, I agree. I, you know, I think we, you know, we have to expand. I think the market needs to expand and we have to do that with it uh, in order to continue to grow.
0: Yeah. Something you guys are touching on, which is, 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 is a recurring, you know, theme or, or topic that we, we, we talked to guests about is that we need to, DAOs need, DAOs need help understanding their needs. And then service providers can then come in and, and address those, need, those needs, right? So uh, most of the time, that, that's the case uh, for now, because they haven't matured enough. Uh, cert, you know, at least only a certain amount of protocols have matured to a point where we can you know, clearly define domains to service. But then there's these others da- other DAOs that are just barely coming to, you know, to, to maturity, and they still need that help you know, understanding, okay, what are they trying to achieve here? What is the decentralized community trying to do? you know, what are their needs? And then once you spot those needs or those domains, then service providers can come in and, and, and help them address that. So we're kind of in this weird, you know, at least for certain protocols, we're in this weird stage where we're trying to help them reach that point. And then also the people that are, that are there early, the stakeholders that are involved will be like, Oh, they'll raise their hand and Hey, I could help you with that. So I don't know, just something that I, it's a, it's an interesting thing that I've noted. Uh, I don't know if you have a, any comments or, or takes on that map, but yeah, that's definitely something we see.
2: No, I, I've seen that a lot as well. Um, you know, I, I think with you know the only kind of caveat I would say there is, you know, there are some DAOs that spin up who like, there are like basic things that DAOs need that, you know, sometimes they don't even really think about or know that they need until somebody kind of tells them. Uh, you know, if you're a, a, f- a four-year-old kid, for instance, you may not know that you need to put shoes on before you go outside, but your parents certainly know that because they, you know, they've experienced this, they've seen this, they know like how this goes. Um, so in terms of experience, service survivors like you guys, like us, like others, know we can look at a DAO in in certain stages and kind of say like you know at least at a high level here's kind of like the checklist of like what we think at this stage should should kind of be there or be in place uh and in the case where it's not there i think service providers can come in and fill that need and help kind of like be be more prescriptive to DAOs and kind of helping them understand like you know if you're if you want to go here here's like the other three things you need to do first um i think you guys have done a really good job of that i think we try to do that you know through our engagements and just by being a delegate uh, as well. And I think the more we can do that, uh, th- the better DAOs can be uh, overall. And I think we'll encounter you know different edge cases and, and things like that over time where, you know, not everything's going to fit in some some perfect circle or, or perfect box. But, uh, you know, the more we can put some guardrails around that, the more we can have like more holistic frameworks on how to think about this uh, will allow newer DAOs or even more mature DAOs to make more informed decisions.
1: So like instead of uh, calling us service providers, it should be stable lab and Gauntlet DAO parents. Is that what I hear? We
0: are, we are kind of the, the old folks in the room now.
1: <laughs> yeah, crazy, no?
0: Yeah, I've, I've lost a lot yeah, of so, hair since working in crypto. So perhaps related, uh, I want to talk, touch on stakeholder relations. So you know, risk management is this very you know, deep in the weeds uh, topic that maybe not a lot of delegates quite understand. I'd love to hear more about how Gauntlet maybe approaches you know, uh, furthering this education communication aspect to make sure the, the right people know, have the right information in front of them to help them, you know, make informed decisions. Uh, yeah, no,
2: I, I think this is something we continue to try to improve. I don't think there's any sort of perfect state for this. And we just want to constantly be improving how we communicate, how we educate uh, with different types of DAOs and communities. Um, for any engagement that we take on, like an Ave or Compound, et cetera, we are assigning uh, dedicated teams to these engagements that become in, like, very intimately familiar with the protocol, the DAO, the inner workings of the mechanisms, et cetera. And so whenever we want to make a change, whenever we want to respond to something risk-related, we try to do so with as much detail and analysis as possible. Um, so if you go look at some of our Ave posts, um, you'll really see how we break things down uh, and really try to provide trade-offs of making different decisions and what those mean from a market risk lens. Um, we, you know, we're not here to kind of tell the DAO what it wants to hear. We're here to tell the DAO, you know, from uh, an objective point of view, um, how things shake out depending on how certain parameters set, how different market conditions, uh, you know, as they occur, could affect the the protocol and the different risk levels. I think one thing we can get better at is taking these, you know, even as we break things down, we're still using complex topics. Market risk is complex in general. I think what we can do a better job of is even taking those more complex topics that we're talking about within these posts and breaking them down even, even further. Maybe doing some sort of educational series for those who are interested and, and kind of giving baseline uh, fundamentals on how to think about risk management or how to think about market risk. Cause I think to your point, yeah, there's you know not every single person is qualified to think about uh, or look at an analysis related to kind of parameter change and say, okay, this makes sense, or okay, this doesn't make sense. Uh, but we'd like to get as close to that as possible as we can. Uh, one resonates with our mission. Uh, two, you know, again, rising tide lifts all boats here. Uh, and three, you know, by doing that, we want to create best practices for other DAOs, for other service providers. We think everybody should have access to this information. Uh, you know, this kind of goes back to just being as transparent as possible.
0: What's your take uh, to to some of the skeptics or, or critics that say that some of this risk, manage, risk management is kind of uh... – you know maybe maybe not pointless, but kind of like you know just just added friction in the in this process because you had to go through governance you know what, what what do you say to those those types of uh comments or or you know pushback uh
2: sorry can you clarify the the question uh critics of going through governance or just of like risk service providers in general yeah,
1: i mean like um yeah, yeah for, for example you know like um Let's say that you know instead of you know paying the likes of you know Gauntlet and Chaos and the other risk management service providers, we just took the same money and put it into a, a you know a backstop fund. Um, well, what would like your response be to to these these kind of like criticisms, Ryan? Right?
2: Uh, I think everybody should have a perspective on this. Um, I also think we can just look at kind of like past events, past history, data, the numbers don't really lie. You can look at kind of like the amount of economic exploits notionally is is over half a billion dollars. Um, I don't think at the time of some of those larger exploits happening that even if these DAOs had a backstop fund, it would have covered even a fraction of that in some cases. Uh, And so, you know, the response is kind of like, you know, if let's say you have a TVL of 100 million, are you willing to pay 1 million to protect that 100 million? or how much are you willing to pay to protect kind of like the entirety of your your protocol. Um and I don't think it has to be like a how much are you, but it, you know, I think you know, if you look at traditional industries, uh trading firms have risk desks. Um banks have, you know, compliance departments, risk departments, etc. Uh there's a lot of money at stake in DeFi and there needs to be these objective third parties like us and, and others who who come in and take the stance that you know, here's how we view these different parameters and different market scenarios and here's uh, you know, kind of like the risk tolerance that we'd be willing to take given all the available information. Um, I think it's still going to be you know, somewhat of an uphill battle for some DAOs and some people. Uh, I think not everybody comes from these traditional industries. So not everybody kind of like sees what what I may have seen or what others may have seen in past careers and how things are structured. And that is totally OK. Um, I think that it's on us to better educate and better help them understand the value that we provide. Because one thing, too, is that you know, risk management is... Uh, you don't really think about your risk manager doing a bad job unless something bad happens. But if you get done at the end of the year and nothing bad has happened from a market risk lens, if you're not like super in tune with what risk management is, you might just say, oh, the risk manager didn't do anything. Uh, but you don't really see in the background how much analysis is being done on an ongoing basis to make sure parameters are set in a way to where there is nothing bad that happens. Um, or, or, you know, on the, conversely, uh, how much capital efficiency is driven through the protocol by changing parameters in a way that make it more attractive to bring borrowers onto the platform? Uh, so we try to quantify our impact in a bunch of different ways. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, like it really is up to uh, market participants, Dow participants, et cetera. To like ask questions too. Like ask us hard questions. We are happy to answer those. You know, you go to one of these governance forums, you'll see that we've created a lot of posts. What you don't see unless you click into them is how many questions we're answering and a lot of the back and forth that we're also doing. With different community members that just have questions on different aspects. We welcome those questions and we, and we, you know, we really enjoy responding to those. Uh, and so I would say, you know, if you ever, if you ever see one of our posts in your DAO or community and you, you know, you see something and even if you don't really want to ask about it, you want to learn more, just do it anyway. You know, you might learn something and, you know, as a result, uh, I keep going back to this, but, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I, and I truly believe that, especially in an industry that's still as kind of small and tight knit as, as DeFi is.
0: Love it. Uh, thank you, Matt. I do want to call out the time. Uh, we'll we'll let you go. I do have just have one one final question. Um, you know, any final thoughts or comments as we wrap? You know, what anything you want to plug or you know what what can people look forward to from Gauntlet uh, in the coming year?
2: Yeah, I guess in terms of what I'll, I'll plug is, we uh, announced that we were bringing Era out of kind of private alpha uh, a week or so ago. Um we are talking to a lot of DAOs about helping uh solve their some of their treasury management needs and better understand those. So, you know, would love to have a chat with any DAOs thinking about treasury management. Um, on the gauntlet side, uh, we are continuing to expand verticals, we're continuing to expand ecosystems. Um, so if you want to just learn more about market risk, you want to learn more about economic risk, there doesn't have to be an expectation of anything after. Um, I'm always willing to have those conversations. You can find me on Twitter, uh Matt Dobell. Um, you can find Gauntlet at Gauntlet underscore XYZ, um, and you can always just reach out to me directly on Telegram, which is the same thing, Matt Dobell. But you know, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I really, I'm a really big fan of Stable Lab in general. I like all the work that you guys do, and you know look forward to, to continuing to, to collaborate with you guys in, in different DAOs and in different ways.
1: Really appreciate that, Matt, and, and thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys have always been, you know, one of the the main examples set. Uh, for the rest of the industry in, 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 in the DAO space. So yeah, really, really uh, love everything that you guys are doing and really excited as well to see because I think like one of the, the topics, uh, treasury management is, is something that, you know, we, we see in a lot of the protocols we work with uh, being done in a very inefficient way, uh, you know, where you can of like, vote on like where to put your funds. Um, and yeah, really excited to kind like, of see how your your product here takes off. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Thanks, Juan. Thanks, Gustav. Thank you, Gustav.
0: We'll see you on the next episode of StaplePod.